I think that colleges have this money and they have this power and connections to companies and alumni, they could really do something amazing to change the trajectory of society. And they're really not. They're just kind of sucking in money. I really like anti-college. I think my um, articles on it have gotten like less and less interesting, but it's to me, it's, it's almost like a weird fantasy of mine now. I mean, I had one article where I wrote about, you know, all these problems that would be solved if college was abolished. We wouldn't have to worry about college athletes not getting paid or adjunct professors or people chasing tenure and, or the senior slump, or it was like amazing. And I, and obviously there's, there are losers in this game too, but I kind of think also there would be so many winners. And if we could think more creatively about this, uh, which I'm pleasantly surprised to find and, and somewhat shocked that someone else wanted to abolish college too, because I thought this was pretty fringe, but hopefully this will become a movement <laughs> so that there's more pressure. I mean, institutions that have massive amounts of money and power, and we just leave them alone. Unlike Fortune 500 companies that we throw under the bus, like colleges have tons, billions and billions of dollars that they could be using to solve these problems, and they're not. Welcome to Michelle is Money Hungry, a podcast that has real and empathetic conversations that often focus on the intersection of policy and the financial conversations we're afraid to have. I'm your host, Michelle Jackson, and this summer I'm having conversations all about the potential for student loan forgiveness and what will happen if we move forward with the policy and what happens if we don't. As a result of my debt experience, I was really skittish about ever getting another credit card again. I hate to admit that when it was finally time to sign up for my first card in years, I chose badly. I hate this new card <laughs> and I wish that I had known about cash freely when making this decision. What I love about this free tool is the following. It helps credit card users stay organized when using different cashback rewards programs. You don't have to worry about leaving cash on the table. Cash freely helps credit card users optimize the different cashback rewards programs that may be a part of current cards you're using or future cards that you may be considering applying for. And just maybe that extra cash can be applied as an extra payment on your student loan. Yeah, I went there. Again, this is a free app. And what I love about it is you do not have to input your personal information, which is awesome. So there's nothing that necessitates you putting in your personal information. You just put in the type of card and when you opened it up and then the app does the rest. I think you should check it out, especially if you're trying to travel hack or prepare for that Blacksit. Click on the link in my show notes. Go to michelleismoneyhungry.com backslash cash freely. Lisa Q. I am a blogger at alawyerandhermoney.com. And my day job is I'm an attorney for the federal government. Could you talk about starting a blog about being a lawyer and the money that comes into your life? I, I'm intrigued by that. I didn't send that question to you, but, but actually I am very curious about just why you started your website and, and what the end goal was. I started my blog partially because of my student loans. I was very fortunate not to have undergrad student loans. My parents paid for undergrad, but when I graduated law school, I had $112,000 in student and credit card debt. And I mean, I didn't have any other kind of debt before. So it seemed like a lot and it was a, it was a lot of money. And I hadn't really thought about that part of 
I'd never thought about debt before. My parents are immigrants are very uh, much into paying for everything with cash and that kind of thing and did not understand a lot about debt beforehand and then got thrown into it when I became a lawyer. I'm curious about being a first generational student and the conversation around affording your education outside of your family. When you were considering law school, did someone talk to you about just the process of paying for it? Like, what was that like? This has come up actually not in these conversations that I've had for this series, but just I've seen this come up quite a bit in terms of general conversations around that disconnect with the family, not really getting what this means for you to do this other thing, graduate school or law school or medical school. So could you talk about that? Sure. I mean, I think to be clear, I'm a first generation law student, but my parents went to college. I lived in Europe and people did not pay for school. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like it's a different conversation. Yeah. So this is where, where that question's coming from. My parents did not take on debt for college. They went to community college and paid for it through earnings, I guess. I never really asked them. And with law school, I did everything myself because I, I knew that they didn't know what the they never applied to, you know, it's, it's kind of a funny thing to, to think about applying to college because it's so different after 20 years. Like when I applied to college, it was totally different than when my parents applied. And then people 20 years after me, I applied to college in on a typewriter. So I have no, you know, like I have nothing to tell, you know, like I have no idea how to apply to college. Like younger people like right but, but it changes what I mean so much is, right what was it like when when you were applying did, did anyone talk to you about hey outside of your family I'm trying to just gauge what was the guidance by the university or who guided you on this I don't think anyone guided me I didn't ask anybody about it there are no lawyers in my family I knew some other people who went to law school that I went to high school and college with I think I, I read a book about it about financial independence and that's kind of what I knew about student loans, but otherwise they just kind of give you loans. And I didn't want to take out too many loans because I just knew I I knew I would have to pay them back. They're loans. They're not grants. So I just took it off by myself. And I'm not entirely sure I had that much education about it, except that I I guess I'd read some blogs about people paying off loans. The reason I'm asking this question is I was curious to see if the institution that you applied to that you studied at had any kind of guidance around what to think about and consider when taking out these loans. So I could have asked that question, but I didn't want to Mm -hmm. because I wanted to gauge where you would go first with this. Yeah. That, that was really where my head was at is did your school even say, Hey, let's take you to student aid and let's have a conversation around it. And I feel like in my case, I don't remember this. Like, I don't remember that ever Mm -hmm. happening. I'm trying to see, is that a thing? Is that a part of the education, the financial educational process that, that these student aid offices do or don't do? And so that was part of the reason why I picked on you a little bit with that question was to see, did your school even talk to you about this? That's where it was coming from. I don't remember. I enrolled in law school in 2009. So that was quite a while ago. I do remember it's 2009 was a very important year in the legal industry because that was basically the bottom of the recession. And I remember the speech that our dean gave us when we were 
first years was something to the extent of good luck, you know, and um, <laughs> it was kind of hilarious. So obviously people were top of, it was top of mind. I think it really should have been much more, it really should have been a lot more education. So um, I will say that I graduated college in 2005. And if I had gone straight to, if I had gone straight to law school, I would have graduated in 2008. I went to a a good law school. So a lot of the people, when they would graduate, they already had jobs lined up at these cushy law firms and they kind of just be on their way. So 2008, 2009, when the recession hit, these offers were being rescinded from people. They just graduated from law school. So they're banking, you know, they just have debt. They have no experience. And it's just, you know, so devastating and so debilitating because you have nothing else to rely on. It's a little bit different than someone who, you know, had worked a little while and can go somewhere else. And, you know, no one else is hiring. At the class of 2009, we were very aware of this situation going in. And I think a lot of people um, were in law school, I guess, waiting out the recession. Wow. Um, so it was definitely would have been great information. Um, <laughs> I think there was probably some understanding of things are not super rosy, which I'm not sure either way, right? Like either way, whether things are looking really good or really bad, you would think that some education about the loan system would would probably work either way. What have you noticed just in response to your, the content that you create for your community and just in general conversations around student loan forgiveness in terms of like just what people think it is and what's the feedback that you've been getting or observing around this potential policy? I think there are a few ways to look at it. One is based on the demographic that I'm in. I you know, went to graduate school. So obviously I know people who went to graduate school as well and people who went to college. So most people I know have had the opportunity to accumulate debt. And you know, most of the people I grew up pretty middle class, not like super wealthy. Um, so a lot of people have had to take on debt in order to finance the careers. But again, a lot of people have been really fortunate in their careers and have been able to to pay them off. Again, and also I graduated some time ago. So it's a little bit different for us because tuition has gone so much higher even from when I went to school. They're obviously like very different interpretations. I remember I talked to this guy who's a friend of my dad's, but he's younger. And he said that when he went to law school, he would pay for it with his summer earnings, which is ridiculous now (laughs) because it's something like $70,000 a year just for tuition and to work for three months and make $70,000 a year, which, you know, obviously he didn't have to pay that much, but he, that was his experience. Right. And it's just changed so many different two decades in between. Then yes, of course you have a different experience than I do. And I, I want to, I think we need to be cognizant of we're experiencing student loans in, in completely different ways. So there is a lot of, you know, just pay it off kind of things. And that does work for some people in, in some circumstances at certain time periods. And there is a lot of sympathy for, for how expensive, ridiculously expensive higher education has become. And I think most people want, I think they want the same things. They want people to go to college. They want college graduates to get good paying jobs where they can pay off their loans. And how we get there is just in very, people have very different opinions. And I think a lot of it is based on their experiences. What was it like for you to pay off your loans? What was kind of the process and, and, and the pace that you took to do that? I paid off my loans in about a year and a half. I hated being in debt. I went, I think a little bit too hard at first. I had planned to pay 
everything off within a year. But that was basically putting all of my money, like my entire earnings and all of my savings into the debt to get it paid off. And I was starting to skimp on, I mean, I was, I was skipping on things like furniture and like food. And it was just, it was ridiculous. It was, especially with starting my first year as an attorney, I didn't skimp on clothing, but I would <laughs> like, I didn't have a couch, you know, I wanted to look the part and then I extended a little bit longer and it was fine for me because I worked as an attorney in a law firm. I made a lot of money. I'm fairly used to living a minimalist lifestyle. And I knew that it was a short period of time. And I kind of thought, well, if I just do this for, if I just buckled down for less than two years, I'll be done. And it was more of a sprint than a marathon for me. I'm, I know that most people can't do that. And a lot of people don't want to do that. And that's fine. But my, for me, it was, it was a rough year, year and a half or so, but it was certainly uh, given my circumstances, it was certainly doable. If you were asked to speak with this administration or the next about student loan forgiveness as a policy, if you were an advisor, what would you advise an administration to do, especially in lieu of the fact that we have been dealing with COVID and loans have been paused for several years? What would you do about this situation that it feels like is coming to a head right now? If I was talking about if I was actually hired, I would probably be hired as an attorney and I would probably figure out if it was legal for Biden to do what his legal options were. I haven't looked into that myself. But that's actually the kind of thing that I do for my work and is not necessarily the stuff of cocktail parties. Um, <laughs> but I think in terms of advising, when I thought about this topic. I wasn't really thinking about Biden. I was thinking about, I was thinking if I was the president, it's obviously a very different thing if I had to work for someone else who has to work, has to think about his approval ratings. Well, what My, about if you were president, what would you do? Maybe that's a better. If I, if I had to do things and someone had to look over them, they'd say like, this is a ridiculous idea. I'm like, yes, uh, <laughs> but this is what I want to do. My idea is there are two reasons why I guess there's, there are three reasons why I would think that student loans would be forgiven. One is because the students are distressed and we need to relieve their distress. The second is they were defrauded and we already do something with students who claim to be defrauded. And the third is much more cynical and that it's just a popular program for people who are likely to vote. In terms of distress, I don't believe that people who have outstanding student loans are our most distressed demographic. I work in public assistance and I've been doing a lot of work with refugees. So it would be in my mind, a little bit difficult to state that this is the group that needs money the most. And as many people have stated, whenever people talk about college, uh, we talk about how people who went to college, people who have graduated from college are the least likely to be unemployed, the wealthiest, the highest earning. We talk about all these amazing privileges that people go to college have and to then go around and say that they're distressed and need help, it doesn't seem like it would make sense. That being said, the most popular post on my blog is about how college is a fraud, basically. Wow. So everyone knows basically that some, some students of typically for-profit colleges have been successful in getting their loans discharged, claiming that their schools defrauded them with phony employment statistics. I guess the difference here is that we're asking for discharge of student loans for a wide variety of students who went to state colleges, 
private colleges. It could be people who went to Ivy League colleges and graduated, and we would still be discharging their debt under, I guess, the scheme that under any number of policies that we would be discussing. And it's odd because we think of college as an investment. And yes, it is difficult right now because of rampant inflation and with stagnant wages, high tuition. But if stocks or the stocks have been going down, right? And uh, we don't reimburse people who where their stocks have gone down. In many ways, we think, oh, well, the stock will probably go up anyway. So we don't need to. And the second thing is you still have the stock and that's still an investment. And, and sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but the, the stock in this case is the education. Yes, the stock in this case is the education. It's the investment. We don't give doctors money during their residency programs just because it's difficult to pay off their loans because we believe that their education will pay off in the end. And yet somehow we, and I, I realize that not everyone who has student loans graduated from college, but I assume this is not a huge assumption. I assume that people who took out student loans attended some education uh, with their student loans. They went to even one class and um, or one day of one class. And we believe, I guess, collectively that this education is an investment. And even if you don't make a lot of money right now, that it will pay off. But I think a lot of people are starting to believe and really deep down believe that college is not that great an investment. There are lots of people who go to college and are not better off, and they are left with these ridiculously high student loans. So if I was king emperor (laughs) of the country and I did not have to worry about approval, I would abolish college and discharge everyone's student loans and we just start all from scratch. It's funny because you're not necessarily the first person to to mention that, actually. Oh, wow. I've had a lot of conversations at this point, and it's interesting because it's coming to a consensus around, like, we have to reboot this in some... If they decide to move forward with a policy, the question becomes, what about the kids who are in school right now? How do we not find ourselves 20 years later having the same conversation, right? I think that's a key area of discussion that really needs to be had. And I'm curious about your opinion on this, which is, it's my view, actually, that student loan forgiveness is multiple policies being grouped under one policy umbrella, such as what we're talking about, which is the cost of school. What are your thoughts on that? I think that any kind of discharge would have to get to the real problem, which is tuition is too high. It's completely unsustainable for, I think, even extremely wealthy people. How would they swing this? It, it's untenable. It doesn't make any sense. And especially since entry-level salaries have not increased that much since I graduated from college some 20 years ago. Colleges really need to make the case that they are providing some value here. This is a random question, but when you were in college, were there certain like benefits or bonuses that you got to experience as as a student? And I'm going to give you an example of one that I did at my school. When I was a senior, I lived in the senior dorms on my campus. And in order to go to the dorms, you had to walk across this bridge. Like it was this this exclusive senior area. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I lived in a suite with six girls, six ladies, young ladies, five bedrooms. So one room was shared and I feel like I had the biggest room anyway, but Mm -hmm. we actually had someone who came in and cleaned 
every week. They came in to clean and they changed the toilet paper roll. Like there was this big toilet paper roll in our shared bathroom. For many years, every once in a while, I'll just sit there and be like, why the hell did we have a maid basically when we had no jobs? That doesn't make sense. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so what were, was there a random perk that you received as a student and and maybe now you're like maybe that was why it was so expensive i mean i think we when i was in the dorms my first year there it was a hallway style so there was definitely someone cleaning the hallway and there was a long communal bathroom so there's definitely someone cleaning that bathroom and we had a beautiful gym and beautiful facilities my college is a unesco heritage site so that must cost a lot of money to maintain its beauty. There are certainly lots of perks. And I was recently on a college campus. I just happened to be in Austin. So I wandered around UC Austin and I just thought, wow, this place is humongous and really luxurious. And, you know, the funniest part I thought was, I was, I guess it was the main thoroughfare for the students and they were running a bake sale. And I thought, that's so funny. You're paying like, I don't know how much money, (laughs) but you still have to like beg for like $2 uh, to raise money for your your intramural sport. And I thought like, like, this is ridiculous. I mean, I don't, I don't think UT Austin has an incredibly high tuition cost, but this is a very common thing at colleges. The sticker price is something ridiculous, like $50,000. And somehow you still have to raise money for like club lacrosse or something. Why? (laughs) You're asking the question that I wonder myself in my previous life, I worked at a university. um, And at the university, I like, towards the end of the time that I was working there, they built out a pool and the pool is a giant Buffalo. I live in Colorado. (laughs) It does not make sense that there's an outdoor (laughs) pool in Colorado when, well, nowadays we're having global warming, so this could change, but they can't use the pool for most of the year, like a significant portion of the year. I think it wouldn't have pissed me off as much if it had been indoors but this is an mm-hmm. outdoors buffalo pool, like a giant buffalo. <laughs> I love this buffalo pool. Yes. I thought it was just why make it into a buffalo, but I guess that no, was it's the mascot. The problem. Okay. okay. <laughs> and I'm just yeah, like, I get it. Why are why like this is and the facility is amazing. The the fitness facility is it, the recreation center is incredible because they did this whole reno. But I was just like the money that you used for this could have lowered tuition. You could have done so many other things, but you had to put Ralphie, the name of the Buffalo's Ralphie as a pool. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like there's definitely a consensus in, you know, you look at the budget of a place and you see where the values are at. And, and the idea that maybe we need to start questioning what's going on behind, behind the scenes. And why is it we're saying yes to these accommodations, if you will. I'm going to ask a question that's been kind of on my mind as I have conversations with the guests on this series, which is, you know, for the last couple of years, borrowers of federal loans in particular have had their loans paused. And in the case of many people, they've been able to do very different things because they've had this significant financial line item taken out of their budget. What are your thoughts about separate from just a student loan forgiveness policy, just what are your thoughts about people's people expressing that they're concerned that reintroducing those payments could create 
additional financial distress during inflationary times? Is that one of those, well, I mean, you got two years or is it, okay, this is, this is a conversation or is it a mix of both? I don't really know how I feel about that. I've been working for the government for about a year and we, we talk about how opaque college budgets are. The federal government budget is even more ridiculous. I have of multiple minds about this because one, I feel that it's really easy to be ungrateful for the two-year pause that you got. On the other hand, where is this money going? There is this idea like, oh, the federal government will make all this money back when you start paying. But where's that money? It doesn't ever really seem like the money goes anywhere in the federal government. It just kind of sucks it up somewhere. And it would be really beneficial to those families. So I don't really have a strong feeling either way about this, because I'm sure it would be helpful to families and the money's going elsewhere. I think that all of my energy would be into, we need to make college both more affordable and pay off for its graduates so that they get the opportunities that they have to make money and contribute back to society, whatever costs were incurred to educate them. Basically that they get that return on investment. Yes. What do you think are some of the misconceptions that people have about not moving forward with student loan forgiveness as a policy? What What do you think people aren't thinking about? Like, this is a very emotional time that we're in. People are reacting just with a lot of passion. And I, I feel like sometimes we don't hear all angles of a conversation. So if we were not to move forward with student loan forgiveness, what do you think are some really compelling reasons why that people probably aren't thinking about? I think that if, uh, I guess the current proposal is $10,000 forgiven. Mm -hmm. And it just seems to me that this would be counterproductive. Again, because what I want is for education to be more closely attuned with employment prospects and for college to do better. If if $10,000 were forgiven, colleges would have increasingly less incentive to rein in their costs. I assume that they would raise their costs even more. I'm not saying $10,000 in one year, but over time, I think that amount of money would evaporate and the number would just have to keep getting larger and larger in forgiveness, especially with students who are graduating and find, I think, fewer prospects and not as wonderful prospects as they were. It must be really demoralizing. I know someone who whose child graduated from college and has been looking for a year and they did that all-important major in STEM, computer-assisted technology, hotly in demand, but with the stock market crashing and tech companies have been a little bit more hesitant to hire. And here we have someone who's young and smart and bright and willing to work and did great in the interview and did everything, like everything perfect to the T and hasn't been able to work at all anywhere for a year. And that's so crushing to someone so young and to have followed all the advice and, and this is where she is. That's something that we shouldn't do to our youth. We can't just rah, rah college as if we don't all know people who struggle to find work, even when they do everything right. And colleges should get a lot of this front. We give colleges so much money and they need really need to step up their game to make sure that people are graduating the college graduation rates are ridiculously low, um, especially for lower income people. We need to make sure that colleges are doing their part to get their graduates in jobs, in good jobs. And instead, this seems like we are 
this, these $10,000, like maybe it will, I mean, I'm sure it will help some people. And I'm not unsympathetic to that, especially for people who, who didn't graduate from college and do not get the benefits of a college degree. But what we need more than the $10,000 is not to have in 10 years, people graduating from good schools with the right degree with, you know, even more debt and two years without finding a job or three years and living at home and, and just not being able to start their lives. It's just more of the same, right? We're just encouraging colleges to do exactly what they're doing and we need them to do something different. We need them to have some skin in the game to make sure that their graduates do well. And I think there's a lot of gaming of the system. And we had this too when in, in law school because it was difficult. It got a lot better in the years after I graduated, but we were recovering from a recession and law schools have a very, they're very particular about on the US News and World Report ranking about what percentage of their graduates are employed after graduation. And a lot of law schools game this by hiring their own graduates. And yes, they are employed in a legal profession because it's a law school, but it's not the profession that they came in to get. And it's, it's not a profession that's beneficial to the students. It's just something that schools do to protect themselves. I'm sure colleges do the same thing. And I'm, I don't think this necessarily counts as fraud in terms of student loan fraud cases, but we need to hold colleges accountable for this kind of thing, because this is the kind of thing that affects all of us. It affects our children. It affects our future youth that we're telling them this is a great deal. And then we're just covering up all the problems that they have when they're starting out the career. This is when they're so vulnerable and it's, you know, they still have a few more years before all their hopes are dashed. I would hope, you know, like it should be like 25, not like 23. Uh, wow. <laughs> I, I'm with you. Uh, 25, I feel like you can, you, you just. <laughs> you just give up at 25, but 23, I feel like you still have that little warm bit of Ugh. sunshine from your college graduation that carries you through. Yes. Um, I, I feel for these students so much because I, you know, when I graduated from college, I was very lucky that I didn't have loans and I could stay with my parents, but I was also incredibly demoralized. I did. And I knew other people too. And we all went to good, sometimes great colleges and weren't given a lot of direction and then just kind of left out there and to figure out what, what we were going to do with our lives. And you have all these people who are so, so bright, so energetic, and they really are so motivated to change the world. And they really, you know, I think we, we got over it and we figured it out eventually, but those first few years are so difficult. I, I know people who are in this stage now, you know, they're, they're picking up odd jobs. They're doing things just to make money, obviously, because they have to. And they really thought that it would be easier before the incredible effort that they'd put into high school and college to get where they are would have resulted in something that required their minds or required um, some advanced thinking skills. And I think we could do that. I think that colleges have this money and they have this power and connections to companies and alumni. They could really do something amazing to change the trajectory of society. And they're really not. They're just kind of sucking in money. I really like anti-college. I think my um, articles on it have gotten like less and less interesting, but it's to me, it's, it's almost like a weird fantasy of mine now. I mean, I had one article where I wrote about, you know, all these problems that would be solved if college was abolished. We wouldn't have to worry about 
college athletes not getting paid or adjunct professors or people chasing tenure and or the senior slump or it was like amazing and I and obviously there's there are losers in this game too but I kind of think also there would be so many winners and if we could think more creatively about this uh, which I'm pleasantly surprised to find and, and somewhat shocked that someone else wanted to abolish college too because I thought this was pretty fringe but hopefully this will become a movement so that there's more pressure. I mean, institutions that have massive amounts of money and power, and we just leave them alone. Unlike Fortune 500 companies that we throw under the bus, like colleges have tons, billions and billions of dollars that they could be using to solve these problems. And they're not. What would you replace college with? Like, what would you do instead? I was talking about this with someone and they said that college should be free. And I thought, no, I don't want college at all. If it's free, that means that someone is paying for it. And I don't think it's worth, I don't think it's worth the private sector paying for it. So I'm not sure why we would get the government to pay for it. You have to make it worth something. So instead, I would think after high school, then everyone starts looking for a job instead of after college. So if you're going to graduate school, if you're going to medical school, you just go straight to medical school like they do in some other, I think, European countries. So you get four years of your life back. And I was talking to an, a med student who was considering neurosurgery residency. And Oof. he said it was actually not that difficult to get into because, or he thought it was not that difficult to get into because he thought that very few women applied because <laughs> it's such a long, because it's such a long residency, it's seven years. Oh yeah. That if you graduate medical school at 26, that means you don't, start practicing until 33. And a lot of women don't want to put their, you know, like their child, their maybe best child rearing years into that time period. And he wasn't saying this to like dis women. He's just saying like, practically speaking, it was easier because he didn't have to compete with any women or he had to compete with fewer women because of the uh, safeguards. So we would have possibly more female neurosurgeons, which would be amazing. And people in law school or architectural or whatever schools that would require advanced advanced schooling, they would just do it four years earlier. Everyone else would, companies would just have to employ people before they went to college and there would be more on the job training. And, you know, a lot of Ivy League schools, they take people from legacy or they take people who are donors and might still be companies that say, we want someone who went to an expensive boarding prep school, which is fine. They were always going to take those people anyway, but you don't have that differentiation now where you don't have to show that you went to, you don't have to compete with someone who went to Harvard or Yale because there is no Harvard or Yale. There's just high school. You've got me thinking about this because I shared this with another guest on the show, which is I worked in international education at the university that I was talking about previously. And one of the students, these were students learning English as a second language, adults. So they were Mm -hmm. between 17 to 65 years old at any given time. And actually, I've met two young women doing this, one at the school that I worked at and one in a program that I was a participant in called Up With People. So I did an international intercultural program. We traveled the world together for a year. It was awesome. But it was uh, students from all over the world, like adults. We were adults, but we were from Mm -hmm. all over the world. And both of these young ladies were from two different European countries, one from Switzerland, from the one from the Netherlands in high school. They figured out that they wanted to go into nursing and figured out what their um, interest was, like the type of nursing that they wanted to do. And so during high school, they went to regular school and then they would go and get their hours in paid, paid. So they were getting, yes, they were getting this paid 
professional experience. So by the time they came, uh, one of the girls who came to uh, the program I was working at, 17 years old, she was on break from, you know, what she was doing. And she had vacation time because European, Europeans do. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so she came and studied English for a while to improve her job prospects. But her job prospects were obviously very good because she was in professional training for like three years. And she was 17, almost 18. So literally when she was 14 years old, she they identified that this was her interest. She, she and her, you know, whomever at school they would talk to. And they started on this path. And yeah. so- to me, what you're talking about is very similar in some respects to that. It's like, just get get out of school, do your thing. And if you want an advanced degree, you just go from there. I haven't had anyone just say, just give her to college. <laughs> so I kind of got really excited about that uh, train of thought. Um, I do want to point out that part of the reason why we had, the, you know, I wanted to have you as a guest on the show is that you are not for this policy. And I wanted to have like a full conversation before getting into why you are not for this policy. So if you could talk about that, I feel like we've alluded to it throughout the conversation, but what are some of the the issues that you feel we need to really be considering and why you feel like this isn't something that we should be moving forward with? I think that student loan forgiveness is really working out the kinks of a system that is fundamentally broken. And we need to either break the whole thing. I mean, my, my preference would be just to break the whole thing. Um, (laughs) I think though, you know, if there are piecemeal improvements on it, I guess it still doesn't really get to the, the crux of the issue, which is we need good education for affordable for all. And we need great job opportunities, especially for our superstar best and brightest and college is not doing that we need to work on solutions that will do that do you think it's even possible with with the time frame this current administration is on to even create a significant policy shift i heard about the state of florida doing something with colleges being more transparent about i think the outcomes of their college students i mean is this administration going to abolish college? No, but I think it can take steps like transparency. I think a lot of states actually are are making um, are collecting data on college efficacy, and that might be a step. But if we're going to do, I mean, it's okay. So the, the administration is definitely it's definitely not going to abolish college, but it can take steps. I think to reduce college tuition, and I think part of that is the federal government has to cap how much money it will loan to colleges. And it can't keep increasing at the rate it's been going at. Colleges have to take more initiative in cutting their costs. And then there could be tremendous, I think the education department probably holds some keys to pressure colleges to align college students' interests more with employment prospects and to ensure that the federal, the money that the federal government gives to colleges is being used wisely and it's being used effectively. So I think in a more realistic Thing that the administration could do is to put a closer, put colleges in closer scrutiny over what their outcomes are for their graduates, how many graduates they're taking from lower incomes, from lower socioeconomic statuses, and what their outcomes are and if they're improving. And things like that, I think, would could do something really tremendous, whether or not 
the administration grants student loan forgiveness. It's not something I, I care that much about. The money is one thing, but the outcomes for students, for, for graduates, for how our kids are going to be raised and what what they're aiming their lives towards, which for a lot of them, it, it is college acceptance, college graduation. I think that is the much larger issue, the, the, the thorner issue that needs to be addressed. But the administration can definitely do things to make college better. And I wouldn't be up in arms. I wouldn't be protesting if, if student loans are forgiven. I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it gets to the root of the problem, but I'm, I'm not like that passionate about it either. there's so many things going on to be honest that yeah exactly like one I would never protest anything I hate protesting Mm -hmm. um but second so what like I can see why it was done and it's not the worst thing I just don't think it's the best thing either I feel like I could talk to you forever about this because you're so interesting um but I'm not going to do that to you if you could share again who you are and what you do and where we could find you. That would be phenomenal. That'd be fantastic. And I really enjoyed having this conversation with you. I think you really highlighted some things that actually several other folks talked about as well, but then you brought up some things that I just hadn't even considered. So I will, especially when I'm editing this, there's a lot on my mind now. So please, if you could share your uh, details, that would be fantastic. This is Lisa Q from alawyerandhermoney.com. Also on Twitter at a lawyer, her money. I'm an attorney with the federal government, but these views are my own and they do not represent the federal government or my agency.